Thank you. you. You may be seated. We love you guys. We love this part of the country. You have a high-energy pastor, by the way. <laughs> and uh, say hi to Connie. She's here with me this time. Wave, Connie. Stand up. Say hello. Connie and I are your tri-guests. We're tri-pastors in the tri-ministry. Everything is try here, right? <laughs> when we pulled in, it was try. It's so cool. And uh, yeah, we, uh, we're from Toronto originally, so you can thank us for the cold weather. We thought we'd send some your way. And uh, yeah, we're going to drive to uh, Boise, Idaho. <laughs> and it's for that reason. But you know what, uh, Pastor Tom, I'm Italian. What does Google say? Four hours drive? I can do it in two. I did it too, baby, because when I get behind the wheel, I be, I'm Italian, I become one with the car. So you got to become one with the car. In Italy, I drive a car that, well, we think in kilometers, but, but you know, if, if you don't go at least 140, 150 kilometers an hour, which is about 100 miles, 110, it, I, listen, my car is sad, it tells me the way the engine is moving. It says, I'm, I'm sad. I'm going too slow. Please, please. So I do it for the car. I don't do it for me. I need the car to be happy. I don't like to hurt anyone or anything. And you become one. When you grab that wheel, you see your hands going to the engine and out the wheels. And, and my hands are in the front wheels and my feet are in the back wheels. And I'm just driving. I have built-in anti-radar. You're born as an Italian with built-in anti-radar. And you just uh, go for it. And then if one of your fine troopers stop me, I say, scusa, non lo sapevo, sono da Italia, italiano, oh, sorry. I didn't know it's, uh, and, then, and then they say, okay, next time. You plead for mercy. <laughs> I'm not telling you to do it. Don't do this. <laughs> because when they see, you know, you're from, from, from Kennewick, you won't get away with it. But because <laughs> we have, you know, uh, uh, our driver's license are from another nation. They're usually quite kind and merciful. Of course, are, are we streaming or something? If any troopers watching now, I've, I've blown my grace right there. That's it. It's all your fault that I went off on this. I need to concentrate this morning because we have uh, to get uh, through the service. Amen. Are you ready? We've enjoyed being here. I have a, a quick map that I'd like to show you if you fire up my PowerPoint because I wanted to show you. <clears throat> this is the area where we minister primarily that God has assigned to us. Um, and this is the Mediterranean basin. It's a Mediterranean Sea. And that uh, beautiful, perfect country that you see in the middle, boot-shaped, is Italy with uh, Rome right in the middle. And from there, you see that in the middle, we're, we're placed really, really strategically, uh, starting on the left, to minister in Spain and France, and then moving over to the right in Switzerland and uh, Austria, down the former Yugoslavia. A few months ago, I was over in Romania, and uh, we preach in Greece, uh, Macedonia. And then, notice Northern Africa, too. Uh, that's important because Italians have more in common with uh, Moroccans or Algerians or Tunisians, 
you see that Tunisia, which is right here, um, real close to Italy, it's like from Cuba to Miami, just to give you a point of reference, right? And uh, uh, we were in touch with a young man that I met in Tunis, because this is the Muslim world here. And then Libya, Egypt, and Saudi Arabia, and Syria, and Turkey. And you know, you say, why should we care in Kennewick? Because uh, most of these nations that I mentioned are in your news every night, because something is going on. And there's a real battle going on in this part of the world. It is the least evangelized part of the world. Uh, in your great country, uh, 35, 36% of Americans are born again. Uh, in Europe, less than 2%, less than 2 out of 100 that you meet are born again. Even though it's called a Christian continent, it really isn't. It's just by name. It's just denominational. But in Northern Africa, of course, it's a lot less than that because it's still a Muslim stronghold. And uh, so we're well-placed from Italy to reach uh, Italy and then from there as a base, uh, Europe, Southern Europe, and then Northern Africa. I was saying that culturally, uh, anyone here who's from Greece or, or any of these countries knows that culturally, an Italian is more in common with, with a Tunisian or a Greek or a Spanish person than we do with, say, someone from Sweden or Denmark. And that's because of the Mediterranean basin, because we have the same culture, the same type of food, the same type of music. And uh, so when, when I met this young man from Tunisia, he was a Muslim and he was a teacher of the Koran. And uh, uh, you know that we need to make a difference between what, what the government does and what the church does because the government has a mandate. for They have the sword for security and that's their job. But us as Christians, we need to preach the gospel to everyone. Amen? Because... Uh, heaven will be filled with all, every per, people from every nation and every color and every tongue, amen. And so, uh, so we let the the government do their job and their security, but our job as Christians is to preach the gospel, and we want to invade that part of the world, Southern Europe and Northern Africa, uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, because a uh, uh, a, a an ill-intentioned person with. Uh, uh, a terroristic philosophy believes that one person, one act can change a city. And they're right, they do, for worse and for evil. But we serve Jesus and we believe much more than one, one well-intentioned person with the Word of God and the Spirit of God can transform a city. Do you believe that? So when I met this man, I was fascinated because he was a teacher of the Koran, and now he's a, he's a pastor. He actually has a, a home group that's starting, and he's got, you know, 12, 15 people. But that's how we started, too. I understand that's how you started, too. Jesus started with 12, and he changed the world. Amen? And so that's a seed that we have there that, that, that to me, is dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. Amen? And, uh, and, you know, uh, we said we're going to work with them. And so it would be very, very difficult for you directly from the U.S. And I understand, you know, because, because of proper security measures and so on, to get involved in that at all. Uh, but, you know, you now have a hub. We'd like you to think of us as your hub, your missionary hub in that part of the world. Amen? And we have, uh, we now even have an office in the U.S., so your funds, and I have 
Now, you're going to like this. I have zero overhead because I don't need a building. I don't buy a building in the U.S. That's not our vision. We have an accountant, and he just offered his services. He says, you know, you need an office so that we can, it makes things easier. I said, fine, okay. And he runs it because that's his job and with zero overhead. So anything that you sow, we're going to put it right in the gospel. We're talking front lines. No bureaucracy, no nothing. It's going to go in blankets for refugees. It's going to go uh, into uh, tracks and, and, uh, for refugees. People who are fleeing for their lives. Um, last year, a year and a half ago, because it's 2019 now, so in 2017, we baptized in church our first Muslim family, uh, 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 Pastor Tom. They were Muslims, and we baptized them, and they all got saved, and it's just great. And down in Sicily, which is right in the front line, that's what we do, you know. People come, and then, well, you know, you're either going to treat something as a problem or an opportunity, right? So they, they, they won't let me go to Libya. I would. They don't let me go to Libya and open up a church and start a Bible study. If they did, I would. They don't let me. So God is doing something else, you know. They're coming to us, and so we can preach the gospel to them. Amen? And we get them born again, the ones that want to. And, and our church in Sicily uh, has already integrated several families into society and into the church. And they, they participate in the church. And we believe this, that some of them God will call. It's the same vision that you have. You know, you want uh, fi uh, 50 church, 20 churches of 500, right? Well, you know, we want some of them we're going to send back to start Bible schools because they don't let me because I don't look like them, you know, I'm, I'm a white Italian, and, and I'm a foreigner, they don't let me, but, but a Libyan, or a Tunisian, or a, a, a Syrian, or an Algerian can certainly go back at, to his hometown and start a church and preach the gospel. Amen? So we're involved in starting this revolution that's wonderful. We're revolution for Jesus. I'm a revolutionary. Amen? And the problem is not the devil, because he's defeated. And the problem is not God because he wants to do this. The problem many times is us. Because when, when this young man from Tunisia, and I spent a lot of time with him talking to him, and then I said, you know, I'd been praying for that region of the world for, for years, and then finally I met him, and so, because he came to one of our conferences in Italy, so, you know, as soon as I meet him, my antennas go up immediately. I said, I've been praying for you. I know you before I ever met you. And I said to him, we'll do it. And you know what? I will go because he will invite me. And I will go and you know, rent a hotel room and preach. But it's his thing. So it works good. But, uh, you know, uh, uh, he, he said to me, this is what he said to me. He said to me, I'm believing for Tunisia to come to the Lord. Well, that shook me. CNN is not going to tell you, you know, we believe for Tunisia to come to the Lord, <laughs> you know. And, and, and you're thinking, you know, uh, uh, and I thought, Man, you know, he's believing the same thing I am. Are you believing for Kennewick to come to the Lord? Are you believing for Washington State, for the U.S., for the nations? Well, he's believing the same, and so I'm thinking, wow, you know. And, and then when I look at someone, many times believers, right, and they say, you know what? Uh, we have one person that can change a city. So I said, the problem is not the devil. The problem is not God. The problem are church members. Because they look at you and they say, well, who do you think you are? Well, it's not who do I think I am. It's who we serve. It's who Jesus is. And we serve the heart changer par excellence. We serve the ultimate heart changer. We serve the one that knocked Saul off his horse. Amen? 
Jesus can knock people off their horses and, 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 and start whole revolutions. And Saul was the number one persecutor of the church, and he became the number one apostle uh, to the Gentiles. And so that's what we're believing. So thank you for having us. Thank you for uh, uh, sowing seed. Thank you for praying for us. And uh, I just wanted to show you the map there. Now, the last thing I'm going to show you in literally one minute, and then we'll get in the Word, is uh, last week I was in Rome. I came directly from Rome, and we opened up our latest Bible school in Rome. We have several campuses. In the Bible school, we're training leaders and pastors. And so it's Rhema Rome, right in the heart of the center of religiosity in the world. <laughs> you understand that? Anybody here from Catholic background? Let me see you. We love Catholics. You know, Italy is a Catholic nation. Spain is a Catholic nation. And so you have to understand that when I, when I say that, uh, Catholics are great people and they're wonderful people and we love them and we minister. But the religious system has issues. Like any religious system, you understand? The Pentecostal religious system has issues. <laughs> the Baptist religious system has issues. The Word of Faith religious system has issues. Right? I mean, you know, if we didn't wear a tie, we were taught almost the anointing wouldn't move. That's a religious issue. You know, God couldn't care less about the tie. <laughs> you know, He cares about your heart. Amen? And so, so we're talking about religiosity, which is the same, which is basically that, you know, puts a form or an appearance or a ritual, uh, you know, uh, uh, instead of the heart, puts that in, in, in the first place. We're going to read a passage that all about Jesus dealing with religious people and the issues that he had in dealing with religious people. And so uh, we have, it's so important that we have a school in Rome because it's the heart of, of, uh, of, of religiosity. And then, I, so I have a picture here of, uh, that's our logo, and I taught there, I taught there uh, 18 hours, 18 hours, because they squeeze you like a lemon. They kind of have the same attitude you have in Kennewick. <laughs> Six, seven services over the weekend, very little sleep. I like that, by the way. That's good, you know. I don't want it better than people falling asleep. These are the students, and they're waving to you. I told them, I'm going to the U.S. I'm going to Washington State, and I'm going to show you a picture. So wave back at them. Say, ciao. There you go. And uh, this, of course, because it's Italy. So not only, Rema, Italy, not only do we feed you the Word, but we feed you well. It may be this, the, the Bible school in the world where you eat the best food. So they made a tiramisu. That's a tiramisu there. How many of you know what tiramisu is? You know, isn't it good, right? Homemade, big. I had to honor the students. I couldn't just have one slice. That would have offended them. They, they spent time. So after I had a little slice and they said, well, are you going to have more? My body didn't want it, but I told it to submit. You will have another slice. <laughs> I tell my body what to do. So because they said, well, only one, you can't have. I said, well, that's what you say, you know, then, hey, you know. And I told my body to have another one, but it was really good. But anyways, thank you for helping us, and thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your love. Luke chapter 4. Let's get in the Word. So Luke chapter 4 is my text this morning. And uh, uh, like last night, okay, let me read the text first. And then uh, we'll look at it. Yeah, thank you. That, if you want uh, my outline, if you want my notes this morning, just send an email, freeoutline at gmail.com. Not a text, but an email. And if you're sitting here, you'll get it as I speak. 
Simple reason why I do that, because people, I use different translations and the ampl- all kinds, and then they say, what was that, what was that? So I just had this idea, you know, I'll take my notes, I'll copy my notes, put them up. Anyone that wants my, my sermon notes, they're right there. This sermon, obviously, because next Sunday will change because I'll put whatever I'm preaching next Sunday. And so if you're interested, there it is. But now I just want to read the text first. So from the New Living Translation, it says that uh, Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went in the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. He was sent in the book of the prophet Isaiah. When he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now, Jesus is quoting from Isaiah here in verse 18. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's the end of the quote from the book of Isaiah. Luke says in verse 20, Jesus closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Everybody say today. Today. Say again today. Today. And he said that, and uh, you know, that did not go well with religious people. Today does not go well with religious people. Because God is either yesterday, great things he did, but he doesn't do today, or he's either one day in heaven in the future, but not now. But the today part bothers religious people. But it doesn't bother people who believe in God and who have faith and who believe in God. Amen? And who take God seriously at his word. And then, you know, uh, in verse 22, uh, they say they bore witness and they marveled at the gracious words with which proceeded out of his mouth, and they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this Joseph's son? You know, this is just Joseph's son. What is he saying? What does he want? He's the carpenter's son. We know him. We know his father. He grew up here. We saw him work in the carpenter's shop. What's all this talk about Messiah, revival, redemption, salvation, healings and miracles? You are just Joseph's son. It's a wicked phrase. But that's what religious people do, you know, they'll kind of knock you down and shoot you. So I want to talk about that. That's what I'm going to talk about this morning is, he's just Joseph's son. It's just Joseph's son. Now, Jesus, who's not moved by people, and I've seen him do many times, he doesn't back off. He steps on the gas pedal because he loves people. But he couldn't care less about their twisted religious thinking. Some of the harshest words that Jesus had was not for the sinners, you know, in the sense of, you know, uh, uh, prostitutes, drug addicts, and messed up people. Some of the harshest words that he had were for religious people, church-going people. 
Sometimes Connie accuses me, not accuses me, that's the wrong word. Sometimes Connie points out, you know, sometimes you're a little harsh, mouth or back off, watch yourself. And I thank God for her, and I thank God for that because she balances me out. But I am nice and pretty compared to some things that Jesus said. Read Matthew 24. He called the religious people white and sepulchers. Fake. And he called them poisonous snakes. He said, you are venomous vipers. I haven't called anybody a viper yet. Oh, no, Connie's right. Sometimes, you know, I, I put you to the back. I put your back to the wall just to get you to reason. And I realize that sometimes, you know, I push and I do it on purpose. But I haven't gone over the line yet. So if you think I'm hard, think of what Jesus said. But, and that's the way it should be because he's my Lord and Savior. He's God in the flesh. I'm just a messenger, human and faulty so I, I can't say what he said. I need to back off and be gentle and walk in love. But, you know, sometimes people just need to be faced with their stupidity and idiocy, religiously speaking. You know, what you believe is dumb. It's not in the Bible. And that's whether it's in the traditional denominations or, like I said, in our camp, you know, the, the word of faith, you know. You know what? My anointing is not based on a tie. That's dumb. <laughs> right? Huh? And the anointing is not based, these are the Pentecostal, you know, the anointing is not based on you praying and then changing your voice. So you talk normal in the foyer, hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. Now, fine. Nice to see you. Hey, buddy, how you doing? Then you come in and then you have to impress God by not calling him God, but it's God. <laughs> I mean, God's looking at you and saying, you know what happened? Did you touch your tongue get twisted or something? What, what happened to you? And then, you know, your prayer is not based on you sounding like hallelujah. Like what are you, Casper the friendly ghost? You think that's going to impress God? See, that's the Pentecostal side of it. When I talk about religiosity, I'm talking about all that stuff, Right? And then, you know, and let me give you a little secret for Pentecostal folks, okay? If you want your prayer to be heard, we all know this. It's not just a hallelujah. But then if you bounce on your toes, it helps the prayer to take off, you know? Hallelujah. Then you, then you go away. God just goes, whoa, I'm impressed, baby. That's what I mean by religiosity, Right? And then, you know, you read the end. We don't have time. I'll just tell you about it. It says that they, they were so impressed with him that, you know, uh, uh, they took him off a cliff, like one of the cliffs that you have here. And, you know, you have wonderful mountains here. And they wanted to throw him off. Imagine that. People in church wanted to kill Jesus. And Jesus is God in the flesh. He's Yahweh, the one who wrote the commandments. He was there. He comes to visit them. They're so busy with their twisted religious thinking, they miss his visitation. And then they use the scripture that he is, because he is the word incarnate. They quote that against him, thinking that they're working for God and doing God a favor, and they want to throw him off the cliff. So, 
Jesus, here's the setup for this passage, because the wonderful thing that we need to do when we read the Bible is we're not just reading a story. We're not, this is not a subject to study. We want to not so much read the story, but that the story read us. Let the Bible read you. James says the, 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 that the word is like a mirror and it should reflect. So I don't, as, you know, I don't so much read the Bible as much as, obviously you start reading the Bible, but the point of reading the Bible is that you let it read you. You see yourself in it. You re, it reflects us and we place ourselves in the story. And we let Jesus locate us. So you may have already been located with the hallelujah or whatever your form of religiosity is. And then, you know, you want to see yourself and say, oh, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I, I need to understand the difference between rituality, religiosity, and relationship with Jesus. So Jesus was just baptized in the Jordan. And then after he was baptized with great glory, he goes in the desert. And he doesn't eat for 40 days. I'm Italian. I don't understand not eating for 40 minutes. <laughs> Never mind 40 days. And then Satan tempts him. And Jesus beats him black and blue. Satan doesn't know what hit him. He's never met anybody like Jesus. The people he tempted before, they all fell. And Jesus is announcing there's someone new on this planet and something new is about to start, meaning the new covenant, meaning him dying on the cross and rising again and then the new age, the real new age, not the fake one, the real new age, the age of the church, the age of grace, the age that we live in right now. And Jesus announces that to Satan by beating him up. I know he's beat up because a comment that the gospel makes is that Satan left him alone for a season. It means he tucked his tail between his legs. He ran away to lick his wounds and he said, Whoa, I need to recover from this. And after this announcement to hell of who Jesus is, he proceeds to announce to the church world, to the religious world, who he is. So my, verse 16, if you put it up, it says that Jesus, he went to Nazareth as where he had brought up, and as his custom was, he went to church. I don't know if these stupid doctrines have reached Kennewick. I use stupid on purpose. But they are in Canada and they are in Europe that we don't need church anymore today because we do church alone at home. Have this doctrine reached Kennewick? <laughs> we don't need it. We don't need pastors. We don't need church. I believe in home studies. We have them. They're effective. But Paul said that he preached in the homes and in the church, private and public. We need both. These people are genius. They need to read their Bible. Listen, if Jesus, who knew everything, went to church, don't you think that you and I, who know nothing, need to go to church? But that's another sermon for another time, like Connie says, right? I need to concentrate. And he goes in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he deals with the religious people. 
<laughs> and then he preaches and they like what he says. See, a lot of religious people like what, what you say, you know. And so just follow me quickly. You know, he says and he reads and he says, verse 17 and then 18, right? The Spirit of the Lord, he opened the book and he says the six things in verse 18 that he's called to do, right? To preach the gospel to the poor and so on and so forth. And that part, there's a lot of good sermons on it. I'm interested in the reaction. And then in verse 20, it says, that he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. Said, lesson over. That's it. Anybody have questions or thoughts? I am it. <laughs> Today this is becoming a reality. And then it says, naturally, that the eyes of people... We're fixed on him. I get this all the time when I preach in Italy because, you know, I'm not, oh, brothers and sisters, we're here gathered today. You never know what God will do. Hallelujah. And then you kiss the book three times, a little bit of incense and so on. They looked at I get stared at all the time. They say, you know, they have all kinds of reactions. People say, what are you on? They think I'm on drugs. They think we're from another planet. No, what we are is real. We're not about religiosity. We're about relationship with God, relationship with Jesus. Not, not religiosity, but, but, but re reality. Religiosity will draw you away from God. And when he said today, he's challenging them. Go on to the, to the, to the next verse, please. He's saying, you know, God is for today. No, no, keep on going. God is for today, Luke 4, 21, 22, yeah. He said today, and that's what bothers religious people. Let me live in my world. Let me live in my fantasy world. Let me live in my God in the past. All the great things that he, yes, why, yeah, God parted the Red Sea. God healed in the past, but he doesn't do it today. Don't bother me with today, please. Or for the Pentecostal world, you know, leave God in the future. One day, I'll go to heaven. One day, I'll be healed. One day, I'll be well. One day, I'll be happy. And my anthem, so just let me sing. You know, till I drop. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. One day. But don't, don't, don't bring God in the now. Don't bring him now. Today salvation. Today answered prayer. Today healing. Today the power of God moving. That's what bothers religious people. <clears throat> so here's their response in verse 22, which is, which is the theme. Here's, what, here's all they can do. They marvel because, oh, you know, it's wonderful. Yeah, we come here. Man, we never heard music like this. Man, you people are real. Man, it's wonderful. Wow, Pastor Tom, I, you know, I don't hear you know, him preach. like I never heard the word like that. So they like it. But then they say, yeah, but where are the statues? Where's the incense? Where, well, come pastor doesn't wear a collar? And they get stuck on that. They realize that we have something. You know, they realize that Jesus changed your life, but they're stuck. And they, well, I was brought up a Baptist, I'm going to stay a Baptist. I was brought up a Catholic, I'm going to stay a Catholic. I was brought up a traditional Pentecostal, I'm going to stay a Pentecostal. But we're not talking about that, we're talking about Jesus. And then the best they can do is start to knock down and demolish. 
So they demean Jesus. They, they try to demolish him by knocking him down, by labeling him, limiting him, and saying, you're just a carpenter's son. The thought is and the intent is, who do you think you are? Get back in your place. Stick their label. You're too young, you're too old, you're a man, you're a woman. You're white, you're black, you're Latino, you're Italian. Who do you think you are? You were born in that neighborhood. Get back there. Your father was a truck driver. It's all you're going to do. You know, you were born on the wrong side of town. Like, who do you think you are? Pastor Tom was born in Medford, Oregon. His father's name is Clayton. That he's Tom. His father's Clayton. And he was born in Bedford, Oregon. What do you think you are? What are you doing in Kennewick? Go back to Bedford. You probably see the building full, right? You see the building. Like, well, who do you think you are? You're from Bedford. What do you want? You're, Cl you're Clayton's son. You're just Clayton's son. Go back to Bedford. What's all this talk about 20 campuses with 500? Did I get that right? Who do you think you are? You're just Clayton's son. Go back to playing the guitar. He's got the guitars in his office. But the, go, back to, go back to playing the like, Who do you think you are? What do you want? Probably a TV, this, that, the other. But what's, what's, what's the matter with you? These religious people, what do you think? Oh, Oh, calm down, relax, get back. See, here's the thing. He said, thank God for Clayton, his father. Right? Thank God. But no, he's not just that. He's not just that. He's born again. He's a child of God, a son of God, born from above. He has a vision and a call. That is, that has no limits. Not even the sky's the limit. It's whatever God wants. Now here's my point applied. Satan uses what he used on Jesus with each one of us. Because he'll say to you, who do you think you are? And then he'll talk about your relatives and what they did or didn't do. Because you start to come here, you know, and kind of messed up and things are going bad and you hear the word preached and when you hear the word preached, it creates possibilities on the inside of you. Wow, you know, here's how it works. A couple of examples, quick, just to take it home, right? So, you know, you come here, you know, and you hear about healing, that God is good and he heals, right? And then you say, wow, you know, he's the healer, he's going to heal me. Now, here's, here's where the devil starts to whisper, like, who do you think you are, right? You're just... And then he'll go, you know, you know what? Your father died of cancer. Your grandfather died of cancer. And you're going to die of cancer too. That's where you have to rise up and say, wait, you know, thank God for my father. Thank God for my grandfather. But I'm not just that anymore. I'm now a son of God. Yeah. 
And if, and if, if cancer ran in my family, it ends with me. Because now I changed ancestry. And I'm a son of Abraham, a daughter of Abraham. Amen? Same thing, you know, grew up poor all the time. And your parents, to thank God for what they did, you know. Whether they, they were like good parents or lousy, they tried the best they could. So you come here, you hear, you know, God wants to, you heard it, God wants to bless you. And the, Satan will start to say, well, you just, you know, your father was poor his whole life. Worked in a factory his whole life. You're going to die poor too. So you just, just like, do you see how it works? Does that apply? That's when you have to rise up and say, wait a minute, you know. And you want to honor your parents. Say, thank God for what they did. I, I had a good father. I, I, imagine, I imagine that uh, Pastor Tom, but what I know of him, Clayton, was, was a great father. He grew up in the, in the ministry, right? But, for example, Connie had a terrible father. Talk about a father. He was an alcoholic and beat her. You may have that. So either way, so Connie is free from that. She blesses her for She did the best she could, but nobody can point. Them. She's, she's an international speaker flying around and the daughter of an alcoholic who beat her. Because she's not that. She's a daughter of God. So answer the question, and I have, and I have to wrap up. Answer the question. So what's the... Jesus... Isn't he Joseph's son? What's the answer to that? No, no, I'm not. See, this is Jesus' statement of emancipation. Right at the beginning. I am not just Joseph's son. I am God in the flesh. I am God incarnate. I am the anointed one. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that the whole Old Testament talks about. And I'm here now and this is being fulfilled now. This is a statement of emancipation. You receive Jesus in your heart, instantly you're born again. You have the divine right, John says, John 1.12, to be a son and a daughter of God. So your attitude is, thank God for what my parents did, because we're not put, they're putting Joseph down. Jesus didn't, we're not. But I'm saying I'm not just that anymore. I'm a son and a daughter of God. I walk in faith. All things are possible to me. Amen? Amen? So the message this morning is, let's stand up together on our feet. This is my invitation to you. Reject all and any delimiting, limiting, demeaning labels that all kinds of people have put on you. Because when you receive Jesus, you're no longer that. You are a son and a daughter of God. And without putting down any of your parents and your answer, because they need to be honored, not put down. Maybe if you had gone through what they went through, you would have done even worse than they did. Maybe your father, probably, take the maybe out. Your father may have mistreated you because his father mistreated him. That doesn't excuse it. It just, it just frees you from being limited. That's not the focus. The focus is you honor, you say, well, they did the best they could, and I forgive them. The focus is who you are now, who God has made you now. And you need to reject all, like Jesus did, limiting and delimiting labels.
You're not the adulterous divorced woman. You're a daughter of God and God is giving you another chance in life. You are not, you know, whatever. You did the, 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 oh, he's the drug dealer. You're not. You're saved, born again, cleansed in the blood of Jesus. You're not that. You're not the dummy. You're not this. You're not that. Because everything changed on the inside. <clears throat> Let's close our eyes for a moment. Father, I thank you for everyone here this morning. Thank you, Father, that we receive Jesus in our hearts. We're sons and daughters of Almighty God. Everything is past. The past is gone. Everything has become new. I pray, Father, that those who are believers here, that, Father, they'll continue to renew their minds and reject limiting labels, demeaning labels of any kind, delimiting words, Father. Realize that they can do everything that you call them to do. And they're not going to let people tell them who they are anymore, but we're going to let you tell us who we are, Lord. We're not going to let people tell us what we can do. We're going to let you tell us what we can do. Anybody here this morning, Father, that hasn't made that step yet of receiving you, that they're not born again, they're not sure they're going to heaven, that if I ask you this morning, are you sure that if you died, when you die, you're going to heaven? The answer is no. We don't want you to go home tonight, th this morning, without receiving the gift of salvation. God has a gift for you this morning. It's a gift of salvation. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about your church. I'm not talking about your denomination. I'm talking about you have Jesus in your heart. Are you sure you're born again? Are you sure you're going to heaven? Now, if you don't know what I just said, then you need to pray with me. Because if you don't know what that means, then it means you're not. So God is giving you a gift. And I, I just urge you, invite you to receive the gift God has for you. Let's close our eyes. Uh, uh, we're going to say a prayer. This is the first step. The first step is believe that Jesus died and rose again for you and ask Him to come in your heart. And so... Here's what we're going to do. All believers, okay, let's pray and let's help them out. If you're here and you don't know this, we're all going to pray. Even the ones who already prayed it, we're going to pray. Just say this after me and believe it with all your heart. Father God, I come to you. In the name of Jesus, I believe he died and rose again for me. Jesus, come in my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Give me eternal life. I will serve you and follow you all the days of my life, in Jesus' name, amen.